The reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. You can find it on page 995 of the Red Bibles. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, before we uh, begin this morning, I'm, I'm probably uh, more aware of our brothers and sisters in Christ who uh, live in countries where being a Christian is quite difficult. Uh, Lisa, my wife, has uh, gone to Malaysia this week and she's teaching a class a theology class uh, in Malaysia to a group of Christians and um, but she's become aware of the fact that uh, for for the people that she is teaching as they go into their world it's quite a challenging environment because it's against the law to convert a Muslim and so uh, as we think about who we might invite to our Alpha course we might get rejected but we're not going to be imprisoned for inviting someone to an Alpha course. So I want us to, uh, well, particularly for me this morning, as I get up to, to share the good news of Jesus, 
uh, just be aware of the fact that we do that with a degree of freedom, even though it's hard for us sometimes to invite people to church and to, for them to receive that and, and, and take up our offer, we're not at risk here in Australia. So how about I pray for us, that, that the Holy Spirit would, would help us understand this passage and then I'll get into it. Well, gracious God, we praise and thank you for the good news of Jesus. This morning, as we gather in, in safety and, and with freedom here, we think of our brothers and sisters around the world who celebrate the good news of Jesus, but for whom they do it in secret. We think of those who uh, are at risk, even by coming to church on this Sunday. And so, Lord, we thank you for your good news. Would you send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to this teaching this morning? We make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I love our stained glass windows and um, Malcolm's book is a steal for only $50. So if you haven't bought a copy of the book, I encourage you to buy a copy of the book. Uh, you can see me. But I want to draw your attention to the window at the very top at, behind me because that's the whole point of this passage this morning, that Jesus sits as victorious King. That's the whole point of where Jesus has been going in Matthew 24, Matthew 25 and Matthew 26, there's this long passage, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, he's been talking about what comes after we die, what happens in eternal life, what happens in heaven, what happens in eternity, all of these things we wrap up into the, the theological term called eschatology. This idea of when we ponder theologically what happens after we die, when people study that, that's, that's called eschatology. Now, I've probably got about 15 minutes and uh, I did a semester uh, for six months on eschatology and I was more confused when I finished the six months than when I started. So, I'm not hoping to wrap up everything for you in eschatology today, but I am hoping that we can at least go out and pray for the needs of ourselves, our families and our church with the assurance that Jesus sits as victorious King. So Jesus has been teaching about the bridesmaids and, and, and their oil lamps saying, are you ready for Judgment Day? Then he talks about the, the bags of gold and the servants who invest and then they're after they've invested, they're, they're, they're asked to give an account of their investment. And then we've now got the image of the sheep and the goats. They are, these are all eschatology images. Perhaps sometimes we call it Judgment Day. And again, I've said to you, I don't often preach about Judgment Day. Um, we can think about life after death. And again, I don't often talk about life after death. Sometimes we refer to it as eternity and sometimes we call it heaven. But the idea here is that how we view Jesus and what Jesus happens to Jesus in eternity, it actually influences how we pray in this life. Whilst eschatology is challenging for us, it, it's vitally important. And it starts with the idea that Jesus sits on the throne as King. Now, this passage has kind of got some parables in it, but it's also got a whole lot of mixed metaphors in it, doesn't it? 
it talks about the, the shepherd who she- separates the sheep and the goats, and that's a, a key image that's there. But notice the person who separates the sheep and the goats is called the king. And so this story is mixing metaphors about Jesus. It's got this image of Jesus as king, and it's also got this image of Jesus as the shepherd. And so whilst we'll get into what happens, whether we're the sheep or the goats and what that image might mean for us, the whole point of this story is that Jesus sits as victorious king. The story is talking about sheep and goats, but from the perspective of the king. And Jesus is the king. It's Jesus who sits in judgment over people when he returns. But the audience who are listening to Jesus are hearing this prior to Jesus going to the cross. So Jesus has been teaching them about what happens after they die. And in, verse, in chapter 26, the whole uh, uh, discourse starts to begin about his last few days. But here in Matthew 25, we have a passage where Jesus is talking to an audience and he is sharing that he knows what happens after he goes on the journey to the cross. So the journey to the cross, and this is kind of what we talk about on Easter, but the journey to the cross wasn't an accident. It wasn't like Jesus got caught out in the wrong place at the wrong time and ended up on a cross. No, Jesus knew what he was doing, but he also knew what was going to happen after the cross. He knew about the resurrection, he knew about the ascension, he knew that he would go and sit on the throne and he tells this story, this image of him as the shepherd who separates the sheep and the goats, but also him as the king who will sit in judgment over all things. And so therefore, Jesus as he goes into this passion narrative, goes towards the cross, takes on sin and death on the cross and then rises to new life, he has victory over sin and death. And therefore, because Jesus has has conquered sin and death, he then has authority over sin and death, and therefore he can sit in judgment over sin and death. This is important for us. This is an important understanding for us. Because when we come to prayer, we don't have to wonder whether Jesus has authority over the things that we're praying for. We we don't have to wonder whether Jesus has the power to answer our prayer because Jesus sits on the throne in victory. We don't have to wonder whether God can heal somebody. We know that God can heal somebody. But perhaps we have to trust in the plan of the King it's not, that he, it's not that God doesn't have power over things, it's just maybe God chooses a different path to what we would want to choose. And perhaps it's not that God doesn't have the ability to do something, it's just maybe God has a timing of when God wants to do it that's different to our timing. And so sometimes when we come to prayer, we kind of say, God, you're not doing it in our timing and you're not doing it in our way and, and we can let that influence the fact that maybe God doesn't have power over the thing that we're asking for. We need to understand when we come to prayer that if it's within God's will and it's within God's timing, God has the power to do whatever God wants. 
and our prayer should come with confidence in that. We should come confidently to our prayer requests. We speak the name of Jesus over everything because the name of Jesus has power, because the name of Jesus is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And so, on Sunday mornings when we gather here in the the side chapel for prayer, or or on Monday mornings when we um, gather on Zoom for prayer, we often remind ourselves of the fact that we pray in the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus has power. And there's a great song um, that says, we spe- it's called We Speak the Name of Jesus and it says that God's name has power. It's a reminder that when we pray our prayer requests, God has power. It's just perhaps we don't understand God's timing and so we need to understand that. But this really isn't a, a lesson in prayer, it's a lesson in eschatology, so I'll keep moving on with the passage. And Jesus gets to this uh, teaching where he talks about the sheep. Jesus has power to sit in judgment over people's actions. Now, I know some of you are good Protestants and so you kind of have been taught it's not about works, it's about grace and, and, and it's absolutely about that. But we sometimes, as good Protestants, forget the fact that our actions actually mean something. And this parable here, or this, this passage here, is actually showing us that God will come and judge over our actions. And in this passage, the sheep are the ones who follow the will of the shepherd. If we keep running with that shepherd imagery there, the sheep are the ones who follow the will of the shepherd. And in some ways, I, I find it quite interesting in this, this passage that it's like Jesus is saying, well, whenever you did this, you did this to me and, and, and the sheep are kind of like, but we didn't even know we were doing it for you. When did we do it for you? You see, they were so busy doing the will of God that they didn't pick and choose who they were doing it for. If they saw a need, they fulfilled that need. They didn't worry about whether that was somebody that influenced them or, or had benefit to them. You see, the sheep are the ones who do the mission of the shepherd and, and sometimes they, they don't even understand that that's what they're doing. A bit like sheep, it's so ingrained in following the leader that they just follow on and do what they're asked to do. And wouldn't it be wonderful if our own obedience to the will of God was, was so perfect that we just were in the habit of doing the will of the Father? We didn't have to consciously make a decision to do the will of the Father. And so the sheep do these things without really knowing it, without really knowing that they're serving Jesus. They feed the hungry, they give drink to the thirsty, they invite the stranger in, they clothe those in need, they visit those who are sick and they care for those who are in prison. There's a sense in this image that the sheep meet the basic needs of the people that they encounter. The difference between the sheep and the goats is that the sheep uh, uh, see a need and they just fulfil that need. As we shift our attention to the goats, the goats are probably the ones who 
look at a need and worry about whether it's in their best interest or serves them or the people that they love to fulfil a need. The goats do the same activities, perhaps, as the sheep. The difference is that they only do it to the ones that are connected with them. They only do it to the ones that can pay them back. The goats are the ones who serve, but only if they're going to get repaid in return. In many ways, the goats show themselves to be the ones who are self-interested rather than serving other people because they see a need. The goats say to Jesus, if we'd have only seen you, then we would have served you. We didn't know. And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me also. Jesus is saying that the sheep were the ones who didn't ask, is this is, is Jesus watching me? Is God watching me? Are, are people who are influential watching me? Am I going to get brownie points for doing this? No, they saw a need and they went and did it. And the goats are kind of all worried about perception. And if they knew it was Jesus who was a beggar on the street, then they would have helped that beggar. But because they didn't think it was Jesus, they didn't help them. And so the idea of the least of these is a phrase that reminds us that people who are being served, when we go through that list of all the things that the sheep do, all of that can't repay us. It's very hard for someone who's in prison to visit us in prison because we're not in prison. They can't repay that favour. Those who are sick sometimes can't repay it. Those who are, are, are in poverty can't repay it. And, and Jesus is saying the sheep are the ones who serve the least of these, the people who can't repay the debt. And so the goats don't serve Jesus because they don't go beyond their comfort zone. They don't go beyond their relational zone. They don't go outside their friendship zone to see a need and fulfil it. So what's the application of this for the church in 2023? Well, I think the first point is that we have to acknowledge that Jesus is still king and still rules over everything. We need to pray as though that's the case. We need to act and live in our world as though that's the case. We need to have confidence. We need to have hope. We need to have assurance that God is still at work in the world. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? For some of you who have been alive a little bit longer than me, you've probably seen it multiple times where someone smart in the media declares that God is dead, that God is irrelevant. And the classic was, um, you know, Time magazine in the 70s said God was dead and only a few years later talked about the Jesus revolution and the re-sparking of the faith in the church. It seems like and, and a few people are commenting on that in our world today, that just when secularism seems to have been at its peak throughout our recent history, that's when God births something new in the church. And so we need to pray and act and live with confidence, hope and assurance that Jesus is sitting on the throne, that Jesus knows what He's doing. We just have to trust in God's timing, in God's purpose and in God's will. And sometimes we act like decline in the church is the only option. 
but we need to have confidence that Jesus said he would rebuild his church and that we trust him that he will do that. The second application is that we need to be like sheep who follow the shepherd to the least of these. We need to be people who go beyond our comfort zone. We need to be people who serve those who can't repay us. And we need to serve in the way that Jesus served. When Jesus got down and washed the feet of his disciples, nothing, even the task of a servant, the lowest of the servants were the ones who would wash the feet when they came to dinner. And nothing is beneath Jesus in his service of the least of these. And that's the challenge for us. And the third challenge for us is to acknowledge that the kingdom of God is for everybody. Last week, I encouraged us to invest in building the church and building the kingdom of God through the parable of the the bags of gold, the the, the servants who had to invest into the kingdom of God and see a return from their investment. This passage today reminds us that the church and the kingdom of God is for everyone. And I know the church is in the media at the moment about deciding who's in the church and who's out of the church, who can be included and who can't be included. But the gospel actually teaches us that the church should be reflective of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is available to everyone. The least of these are the ones that Jesus seeks out. So probably one of the applications for us in our day is to start looking at who are the people that we think would never come to church and that's probably the ones that Jesus is after. Jesus is drawing people to himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. Another image that Jesus uses in the Gospels is that of a doctor and a doctor comes to those who are sick, not to those who are healthy. And I think we see sometimes that the church is all about those who are healthy and we've forgotten those who are sick. I remember um, hearing a pastor talk about his church and um, he was leading a church in England and it was in a really low socioeconomic area, a really rough neighbourhood. And um, he said, basically, if you walk down the street, there was a high chance, even while you're holding your backpack or your handbag, that someone would come and knock it and and steal something from you. That's how rough the neighbourhood was. And he came to church on a Sunday, probably a bit like this, everybody walked into the church, put their handbags on their seat and then went to the back and started talking to everybody. And he thought, why is it that our neighbourhood is so rough that you have to hold your handbag tight, but we don't have anyone like our neighbourhood in our church that we can confidently put our phone, our keys on a seat, unwatched, unprotected and not care about it. And he said it's because we all only invite our friends that we trust. And he said the kingdom of God was open to everybody. Now it's a strange image, isn't it? But his name, Paul Scanlon, he said he he wanted a church where people couldn't trust putting their handbag on the seat because it might get stolen. That's a strange image for a church, isn't it? You would think that the church is so comfortable that you can trust everybody, but he said, if you can't trust people in your neighbourhood, shouldn't you be inviting your neighbourhood into your church? And so I wonder what kind of church we have. 
my hope is for a messy, complicated church that's open to everybody. And I think about the list of people in our area. And, and Jesus has, has put forward here a whole lot of things that the sheep do, but, but I want to put together a, a, a type of list for our neighbourhood. I, I think if we look at Hawthorne, I want to see people in the church who have an abundant resource. And there are loads of people in our area who have abundant resource. They don't just have enough for their wants, but they have even more than that. But I want to see people in our church who are struggling with their basic needs. I want to see people in our church who are struggling to pay the bills. And so we can have people who've got abundance and people who've got lack in our church. We have people in our church who have great, fantastic jobs. And I want to see more people come to church and know that the church speaks into how they're to be in their workplace. That it's not like you have to check your workplace at the door in order to come to church. But I want people who come to church and who have great and influential jobs, but I also want people in the church who are struggling to find work and are really struggling with that sense of uh, helplessness because they can't find work. We have people in our church who have a lot of influence and, and when people speak, loads of people listen. And there are lots of really smart people in our church who have really significant influential positions and that's wonderful. And I want this to be a place where people don't get treated like a celebrity but they come here and they share their best of their gifts with the church so that we can build the kingdom. But I also want the church to be a place where those who feel as though nobody sees them can come to church and be seen. Those without any influence, those without any authority in their workplace or in their community can come and feel as though they're seen by the body of Christ. I want people in the church who are fit and active and, and have a lot to give to life, but I also want this to be a place where people who are sick and need healing can come in and have people pray for them as they seek the healing that they desire. I want this church to be full of people who live in big houses and those who live in apartments. And perhaps as we engage with people who live in apartments, our cafe space is going to be more important because they don't have the big luxurious lounge rooms to invite small groups to. They need a third space where they can gather as a small group. And so our cafe space is going to become more and more important in the years ahead. I want this church to be a place where those who've lived there the whole life and perhaps your third generation Hawthorne and your parents were here and your grandparents were here and, and, and this is your community church and I love that. And I think it's a great privilege only in 18 months to meet people who their family is deeply connected to this church. But I want someone to feel totally at home like this is their church within weeks of moving into Hawthorne that there's not a sense that you have to be here for generations in order to call St. Columns home. Imagine if we could build a church like that. Imagine if we could build a church with people who are on both ends of the spectrum in a range of different things. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I think if we could work on that, if we could build a church like that, I think the King will see us 
and will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. And what a great affirmation that would be. Well, gracious God, we pray that you would continue to build your church. We thank you that you sit as victorious king. Lord, give us the confidence to know that you will continue to build your church, that you will send your Holy Spirit to draw people to yourself, and that as we go out in our spheres of influence, serving the least and the lost, Lord, we pray that we would see a need and fill it. and We wouldn't worry about being repaid or the cost to us, but that we might maybe encounter you as we serve the world. We make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.